Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. A lot of ground to cover. This is our pre-holiday radio show. Again, tonight, uh, doors open at 6 o'clock. If you have tickets, the show starts at 7 o'clock. Looking forward to that. I Before I forget, I want to say a very special thank you to all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who were out at our Taste of Washington County event last night in Washington County. This is a big fundraiser that generates a lot of money for the Boys and Girls Club of Washington County. Uh, my assignment this year, I, I think I was kind of moving up in the world. The last two years, I was I was passing out food for a local restaurant. Today, I yesterday I got in charge. I got put in charge of of high end bur- selling high end bourbon. And the idea was it was a hundred. It was a special special type of bourbon, hundred dollars a bottle, with the proceeds, of course, going to the Boys and Girls Club. And we sold out. And I just, I really, I was, I'm always amazed at the generosity of people. And I love being in Washington County with the generosity of so many folks. Uh, we, it was. We, we we had from six until ten, and about seven forty-five, we had uh, we we'd pretty much sold most of the bottles. And a gentleman comes up who I've known for a long time, and Tim says, "How many bottles do you have left?" I said, well, "We've got 15. He says, "I'll take them." I said, "You know, they're hundred bucks a bottle." He says, "I'll take them." So thanks to everybody who participated in that, and it was a wonderful event, and I certainly enjoyed it, and it reminded me once again why I I just love the West Bend area, and I love Washington County, and we'll probably end up doing it again next year if they invite us back. All right. Let's get started. It's it's been a bad week for President Trump because and I understand we're going to talk a little bit about impeachment much later on in the show. But the, the bottom line is it, it's it is a distraction at best. At worst, it is a huge blow to your legacy to begin to realize that Congress, for whatever reasons, whether it's justified or not, is going to begin impeachment proceedings against you. You will go down, and I see, I don't care what any president says. Presidents are concerned about their legacy. You do not want to be one of the only presidents who were impeached, whether you were removed from office or not. And I understand you can describe it as a witch hunt. You can feel that it's unfair. You may ultimately prevail, like Bill Clinton ended up doing, in the Senate and that Donald Trump will do in the Senate as well. But you you don't it's got to wear on you. I mean, that that's just the bottom line on top of that. So you've got impeachment that's going on. Nancy Pelosi announcing today that they are going to kind of fast track the whole impeachment process, that uh, there will be articles of impeachment that will be returned. And as I been telling you for the last few weeks when that happens there will be a party line vote and with most democrats voting to impeach president trump will be impeached and then the matter will go to the senate and he'll win in the senate and and then we're going to be back right where we were so you've got the whole impeachment thing going on well earlier this week the president um was was at a nato meeting and 
I think if if you've been following the, this whole story, what happened is uh, some of the, the the NATO meeting started with President Trump kind of getting into it with uh, the, the French Prime Minister. So you had that issue that was going on, and then you had the situation. There's this video that's been viral that perhaps you've seen, perhaps you haven't, but it it has a number of the heads of state who are kind of getting together, and it, it's it's um, Canadian Premier Trudeau. Um, you've got the French President Emmanuel Macron. You've got the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. You've got the Dutch Prime Minister, and you've got Britain's, you know, Princess Anne. They're all at a reception that's um, hosted by Queen Elizabeth at Buckingham Palace, and the, the video they appear to be talking about and laughing about President Trump and the fact that he was keeping everybody waiting and things like that. Joe Biden, who is struggling struggling for relevancy. Joe Biden has come out with a 60-second campaign ad that essentially says that the whole world is laughing at President Trump, and it relates to this NATO moment. All right, I'm going to, now, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 we've got a link to the video. Now, this is an ad that has just started running. But I'm going to play at least a portion of it so you can hear some of the audio. It will give you the flavor of the ad that Biden is running. Here it goes. World leaders caught on camera laughing about President Trump. Several world leaders mocking President Trump. They're laughing at him. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. World leaders mocking and ridiculing him for being completely off balance. Allies are deeply worried about him. They say he's becoming increasingly isolated. Something is very wrong. The world sees Trump for what he is. Insincere, ill-informed, corrupt. Dangerously incompetent and incapable, in my view, of world leadership. And if we give Donald Trump four more years, we'll have a great deal of difficulty if ever being able to recover America's standing in the world and our capacity to bring nations together. That is, that's a portion of the 65-second campaign ad that Joe Biden just produced. The laughter part that you hear, remember when he was in front of the United Nations and he, he said, you know, he described it, we, we've done more for foreign affairs, et cetera, et cetera, and then people start to, to laugh at, at that. And that's where he says, well, that wasn't the reaction I expected, but, but fine. And the last 30 seconds or so of the ad features Joe Biden, you know, on the ad saying, you know, on the camera saying, you know, what you just heard him ended up saying. This ad has just dropped today. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question to you. Is this an effective ad? Joe Biden is struggling for relevancy among Democrats. He he's gotten passed up um, by arguably Elizabeth Warren, passed up by Bernie Sanders. There's a new poll out in California showing that Bernie Sanders is actually leading in California. You've got a lot of the moderate voters that uh, Joe Biden needs to get himself elected or at least nominated. They're they're switching to, you know, um, Mayor Pete out of um, at least short term out of South Bend. So Biden is struggling at this point in time to remain relevant. He still is kind of popular, but this this ad is sort of a bombshell. 
Is it fair? Is it effective? Will it move the needle? 414-799-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And is this the type of ad that Donald Trump is vulnerable to? All right. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. If you, again, if you want to see the video, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 But I think you get a flavor of what this ad was all about. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It's certainly a no-holds-barred ad. Is it going to help Joe Biden? Kim in East Troy. Kim, you're first. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Kim. Um, I'm in favor of the ad. I don't think that there's anything that's inaccurate in the ad, and I think that our relationship with the foreign leaders is being affected by this particular president. Uh, to the negative. So I think that it's a very informative ad. I'm in favor of it. Is Let me ask you this. Do you think uh, among – now, in, in this country, we're really polarized. There's people who just can't believe that Donald Trump is the president, and there's people who can't believe that there might be a time when Donald Trump Agreed. wouldn't be the president. So th- then you've got that, that middle ground that, that's, that's out there, the people who might be persuadable either way. Do you think this ad could appeal to them or does appeal to them? You know, I'm not really sure that there's a middle ground at this point uh, with this particular president. I think that we are polarized, and I think that uh, the ad isn't going to have an effect on a Republican, or and I think the ad is it will be in favor with a Democrat sure. because this is what we actually see. This is what we think. You know, we we look at it as there's nothing inaccurate in this. Yeah. Um, it's stating how the world leaders are actually looking at our country, which we feel is bad for our country. Mm-hmm. We don't feel that um, foreign relations going down the tank is, is necessarily a good thing for us or our allies or any of the world. Might there be some people out there for whom this ad is kind of a boomerang? By that, I mean people who think, hey, you know, we've been the world's patsy for too long. You know, all the, the, you know, the, the Canadians and the French, they've taken advantage of us. They've been ungrateful. Um, this, is, this is Donald Trump. Yeah, maybe they don't like him, but, you know, we shouldn't like them. Is it possible that there's that kind of boomerang that's out there? I, I think that's a small view, in my opinion. I think that America was once or could be still the leader of the free world. Mm-hmm. Um, when we have this isolation going on, this particular president wants us to be more isolated from the other world leaders. I, I just don't think that's globally possible. Mm-hmm. We we need these other countries. so. You know, I, I suppose it could sway a person that isn't um, maybe particularly paying attention to every detail of each, you know, of the candidates or President Trump. Um, and if so, it depends on their view of the world. Do okay. they want America to be uh, isolationist, um, just take care of ourselves? Or is that, you know, a kind of a, a small thought? Because the globally, you know, with, with Internet and and cell phones and everything else, we're so connected. Mm-hmm. To not be connected would be uh, sending us back into the dark ages, essentially. Got it. Thanks to call, Kim. 414-799-1620. You know, it, it does... I mean, it's one of these things that kind of cuts both ways, you know, because I, I think there's some people out there, and I, I'm not one of them. Look, I, I, I believe there's a global economy. I, I don't 
I, I'm not this nationalist. I, I think that, you know, you have to, for this country to grow, I, I think that it's in the interest of us to see European markets grow and Chinese markets grow. And I, I get the whole, you know, fair trade type of thing that, that you have to make. But again, I, I don't think that you gain anything necessarily by, for example, uh, unnecessarily irritating NATO allies. Um, the other interesting thing to me about this advertisement, it's it's what does it say about Biden? Does this get the attention of Democrat voters who say, hey, maybe maybe Joe Biden really does have the stuff to go in and take Donald Trump on, you know, head head on. If this is the kind of campaign he's going to run, maybe this is the guy that we need. He's not going to be a pushover. He's not going to be intimidated by, you know, the insults and the type of campaign that you know the president is going to run against whoever the Democrat nominee is. Dan on the South Side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm good. What do you think about this? Well, I don't know for sure if it's going to help Biden or not. As I was talking to your guy, though, Donald Trump is for the bad guys. He's for Russia. He's for North Korea. He's for China and some of these other countries. And he irritates all the countries that are we for. That's one question I got. I got another one after after you go through. So what do you think? Well, what do I think about what? Is that he? I, I don't know that he. I don't think I'd say he's for. North Korea or, or anything like that. I mean, as a matter of fact, the argument was the other way, that he was being too inflammatory in his dealings with North Korea. But I so, I mean, I, I don't know it's that, but, there, but there's no question. He, he's a nationalist. He's an American first guy. He thinks that we've been taken advantage of by a, a lot of our allies, and they probably they unquestionably don't like it. And so they respond by kind of mocking him. There's no question about that. Now my second thing is I, I'm uh, independent. I, I'm not from mm-hmm. uh, either, either party. And right now, as of right now, as it sits, I can't stand nobody in the Democrat. Democrat in the, I can't stand Trump. I really don't like them. Right. And, and, and there's absolutely, I mean, zero party in the Democrats. Nobody. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, well, I, you, I, you know, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about this later on, Dan. I mean, you know, Hillary Clinton. Would Hillary have any appeal to you if she got back no, in the race? No. Okay. Definitely not. Well, not, not only the reason why I say that, she didn't show up here, but she's arrogant. I never liked her. Okay. And, I mean, I know what to think of her, but. All right. Okay. No. Good. Good enough. No. Thanks for calling. I mean, I. I just. I. I'm just. I. I. I understand. We are going to talk about this later on the show. Hillary goes on um, the Howard Stern show yesterday and at least plants the seed that she may be willing to swoop in and save the Democratic Party from from itself. Let's talk to Lewis on the South Side. Lewis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, before I get to my point, I got to admit, you guys. I, I don't understand where you're coming from. Uh, we're not isolationists. Trump's been to every part of this globe. He includes everybody. He's an inclusionist. If you really look at what is being done, we give hundreds of millions of billions of dollars to other countries. That's actively being done at this moment today. Um, so I don't understand that part. But to, to the main commercial, um, again, it's just personal attacks. It's ineffective. We've seen three-plus years of personal attacks. Joe doesn't talk about what he can do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and your other caller can't stand Trump. I don't like Trump either. I didn't vote for him in the primary. What does that have to do with anything? Look at his list of accomplishments. You people aren't searching out past the media and looking at what he's really accomplished. Daily, he's signing things. Uh, he's moved three courts of appeals over to the conservative side. 
Um, there's a lot of things being done. Nancy Pelosi refuses to uh, uh, bring forth that trade agreement between China, uh, excuse me, I mean Mexico and mm-hmm. Canada, when you got the Mexican president telling her uh, to clear the deal. I, it, this goes on and on. All this laughing and stuff. Joe, Joe is the joke. Joe talks about his curly hair and kids sitting on his lap. Um, he's not a serious contender. Okay, all right. Thanks for the call. I mean, I, look, here's the, I, I don't want to debate the president's accomplishments. We're we're going to have an opportunity to to do that. Believe me, many opportunities to do that over the course of the next you know eleven months as we move into the election. And again, as I started off this pre- presentation, I get that we are really really polarized, and there's people who just absolutely hate President Trump, and there's people who absolutely love President Trump, and then. There's the folks who, who might ultimately, those persuadable folks, particularly people, as I've been saying, in Pennsylvania and in Michigan and in Florida and in Wisconsin, who are, are going to ultimately decide who the next president of the United States is. And, you know, the question is going to become, what what are the issues that are important to them and is it going to resonate? Now, as far as this ad goes, I, I think there's two things. First of all, I think it's an effective ad. I, I I do. Now, you might think it's an unfair ad. You might think, okay, who who cares what these foreign leaders say? But th- this, it, it, if you have an opportunity to to see it, in addition to just listening to it, I think you'd have to say, okay, th- this is this is hitting President Trump at perhaps one of his weak points in that you know he's he's not respected by you know other world leaders. Now, maybe that's not a big deal because keep in mind Barack Obama. You know, he, it seemed like he was on this apology tour all the time. You know going around apologizing for the United States, that didn't happen to play out very well. So it's possible a lot of people say, well, I'm glad it's not Obama. I'm glad, okay, if they don't like him and they're mocking him, then then he must be doing something right. That's number one. Number two, I do think it's a good ad from the Biden perspective because one of the big issues that he is facing in the Democrat primary is that people are saying, is he too old? Is he too sleepy? Um, Is he ready really for a fight? Can he be the alternative to Donald Trump? Um, and and I, I think this ad, I think, resonates with those voters who say, yeah, this is a guy who, who's ready for the fight. Now, you might lose the fight. Now, that's going to be another discussion for another day. But, yeah, I, I think from the perspective of Biden, I think it's a pretty good ad that's out there. And I think even if it doesn't make up points against Donald Trump – I think it helps Biden against the number of the other people that he's running against for the nomination. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. An update on a story we talked about earlier this week, which I guess the conclusion would be every once in a while a blind squirrel does find an acorn, and every once in a while... You do have people in the People's Republic of Madison who end up getting it right. There is, if you have ever driven on the Beltline around Madison, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. There is, it is always congested. What's happened is, in the decades since the the Beltline, which goes around Madison, has been built, what's happened is the number of people, the number of vehicles using the Beltline has increased. 
Madison, Dane County, is also one of the areas in the state that has been experiencing population growth, and the estimates are that that growth is going to continue. So right now they say that the Beltline currently handles about 120,000 vehicles per day, which is up by tens of thousands of vehicles from a number of years ago, and the estimates are in the next 10 years it's going to increase dramatically. All right, so there's a couple ways that you can approach this issue. One is that you could do nothing. You can say, okay, we're, we're just, it, it's going to be congested, and so we're just going to let it go. We're going to let it continue to be congested. A second alternative is you could say, we're going to undergo a massive freeway expansion project. Now, the problem with that is you really get into heavyweight politics. First of all, if you're going to be talking about a massive freeway expansion, I'm talking about adding lanes, you're going to be talking, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that candidly that the state just doesn't have right now. In addition, you're going to have a huge number of political problems because you've, you've got the folks that are just flat out anti-car. You know, we, we don't think people should drive, be driving. Then you've got the folks who, you know, are concerned about the environmental effects of, of expanding the freeway. Look at what we've been going through in southeastern Wisconsin. We redid the Marquette Interchange. We redid the zoo interchange, but yet you still have that connecting area, the area on 994 between the Marquette and the zoo, which remains essentially as it's been for years and years and years. The Department of Transportation has this plan in place to expand the freeway. Remember, we've talked about this on multiple occasions, but candidly, it's gone nowhere because you have a number of people, starting with the mayor of Milwaukee, together with a bunch of groups who don't want to see the freeway expanded for a variety of reasons. They've been threatening lawsuits. They've been trying to block it. And Governor Walker, towards the end of his term, just threw up his hands and said, look, okay, I'm not going to push ahead with this at this point in time, essentially arguing I I have – I have other fights that I want to undertake. There's other freeway projects that we want to commit to. And candidly, I I don't want to spend the political capital on a five or a 10 year fight over this particular stretch of freeway. So, you know, if they would have tried to do something like that in Madison, it would have been what's going on in Milwaukee times about 10. So what happened is the Department of Transportation came up with what's really kind of a compromise type of proposal. Now, on the Beltline in Madison, you have the lanes of traffic, and then on then you've got a median lane, and you've got a shoulder. So on the right side of the road, you've got a shoulder. On the left side of the road, by where the concrete barrier is that separates, you know, one f- traffic flowing one way from traffic flowing the other way, you have a median lane, kind of an emergency lane in essence. So here's what the Department of Transportation came up with. They said, look, in an effort to try to reduce congestion, here's what we propose doing. Let's take the lanes of traffic and let's narrow them from 12 feet to 11 feet. All right, that, that, we narrow them, but that, that's still plenty of room for a car. What we will do is we will take the median lane of traffic, that the shoulder that's closest to the median divider. And we're going to turn that into a, a part-time traffic lane. We'll, um, what we'll do is we'll rebuild it, you know, we'll repave it, and then in rush hour, 
we will open this up as an express lane. And what we're going to do is we're going to put like electric signs over this lane and they'll have a green and a red light telling people when these lanes are to be used for traffic. And the fact that it's not a permanent lane allows us, for example, if there's a collision some morning and, you know, we need to get the cars off the road, well, we can close it down. We can shut it down by putting the red light up there and we can still get in. We could use it in an emergency lane as we have to. But for rush hour, we will add an extra lane. Now, when they proposed this, I thought it had a lot of appeal. On Monday, there's this group called the Madison Transportation Policy and Planning Board, which is different from the Madison Area Transportation Board. Well, the Policy and Planning Board voted against this. And what they said was, well, we think it's essentially inconsistent with what our goals are. Our goals are to try to get people out of cars. So why would we make it easier for people to drive cars and get where they're going. You know, don't shouldn't we be promoting, you know, public transit type of things? Why would we make it more convenient for people to get again where where they're going to go? That was their principal concern. There were others as well, but it really came down to the fact that they didn't like cars. Last night, the group that actually decides this, the Madison Area Transportation Board, which is different than the Madison Transportation Policy and Planning Board, they voted to go ahead and do this. So they're going to start this process. I, I think the DOT has now been given the go-ahead. So there's going to be part-time. They're going to, Again, they're going to do this rebuilding. But sooner rather than later, what's going to happen is during rush hours, they will effectively be opening up another lane of traffic. Now, this is going to be done as part of a, a larger scale improvement that they're doing to the belt line the project's total cost is 60 million dollars and they estimate that about 14 million is going to go towards installing this part-time shoulder i i think this is clearly a common sense way of dealing with a situation the truth of the matter is people like cars people are going to continue to drive the cars and i think from a government perspective we need to do whatever we can to make it easier from people for people to get from point a to point b i understand that we don't have hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on massive freeway re, um fre- massive freeway widening that wouldn't have gone anywhere in Madison anyhow. This is a common sense alternative. They're apparently going to start it within the next 12 months. So, you know, hopefully, now inevitably when they do these things, the people that end up losing go to court, file lawsuits, try to block it and things like that. But at least if everything goes as expected, what's going to happen is if you're driving around the Beltline in the next year and a half, your mission will become easier. And that is a good thing. So kudos to the Madison, and again, you got to keep in mind because there's lots of boards and lots of titles, but kudos to the Madison Area Transportation Board, who last night did what I think is really in the interest of all of us who occasionally drive in and around Madison. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. All right, here's the deal. Everybody knows the story about Tent City, which was the the homeless encampment, kind of the squatters camp that uh, arose 
And it was at there for you know going on a, a year under Interstate 794 right near the Marquette Interchange. And we've talked about this on multiple occasions. You had a number of people who just made the decision that they wanted to live in tents. You had some of the folks who are advocates for the homeless who decided to facilitate this by bringing in tents, bringing over food, etc., etc. You had problems involving violence, sanitation issues, things of the like. Ultimately, the Department of Transportation that controls that area, they made the decision that we're going to order everybody to be evicted. The order was people had to be out by October 31st, I believe. Most people left and were, were placed in various forms of housing. The folks that remained after that, and, and I think there's still a couple people that are there, are kind of the hardcore homeless, the folks that... Uh, for whatever reasons, just it's very, very difficult to place. They don't want to go into the shelters, etc. But this typically happens every time you have you have winter because it's it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to uh, I'm going to live in a tent in July in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's another thing to say I'm going to live in a tent in December when it's the wind chill is below zero in in the evening. So as it stands now, tent city pretty much cleared out for all intents and purposes. Now, what's happening is that the plan is that the Department of Transportation has is they they want to essentially build an area, kind of like a green space that's under there, and it's a green space, and it's an area that's going to be capable of diverting gallons of rainfall from the city's combined sewer system and the deep tunnel project, etc. So the, the idea is we're going to make this this green infrastructure project. All right, it, it all sounds good. Well, yesterday, the, the Public Works Council, the Common Council's Public Works Committee, you know, had this hearing. And one of the aldermen, guy that I don't agree with that often, but Robert Bauman, he's the alderman, and I think he represents the area. Well, he starts asking some very interesting questions to the people that are talking about, hey, we're going to have this big project that's going to, you know, be there, this infrastructure project, etc. And And his question is, okay, it's December. What happens in March or in April? When all the people or people like the people that were there before that we've moved out, what happens if they want to go back into, you know, this area and they want to start a, another, you know, tent city? What, what happens if, if, if they do that? We let them do it for a long time. Finally, we decided we weren't going to, and, and Bauman suspects, and, and I think he's probably right, that one of the reasons why you had the city, why you had the state moving in, it's technically it's state property, why you had the state moving in is this concern that we have this thing called the Democratic National Convention that's coming in July of 2020, and the last thing you want, if you're trying to put Milwaukee on the nation's radar, the last thing you want is a, a tent city, a homeless encampment, a couple miles from where the convention is going to be. So the, the questions that are being asked is, okay, what, what's going what's gonna to happen? What are we going to do to stop people from moving back into this area? And th- there's really not a lot of answers that, that people are, are giving. They're saying, well, you know, we, you know we're going to have some gravel and we're going to have some fencing and, and things like that. But what, 
you know, nobody really seems to have an answer. So this is my question to you. We allowed this encampment to start up, to grow, to exist for a long period of time. The reason it's gone now is some efforts by the people who deal with homelessness in the community, and they deserve credit for that, coupled with the fact that that winter is coming on. And and like I say, you know, the, the appeal of sitting in a tent in December or January or February isn't anywhere near as great as the appeal of being in a tent in July or August. Here is my question, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If come next spring people decide they want to move into this area or areas near this area, will we stop them? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we willing to change our attitude because we, we looked the other way, certainly for over a year? All right, now it's pretty much cleared out. That's fine. But if it starts up again, and my prediction is it probably will, will we, should we, stop people from camping out either in this area or in other areas downtown? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be you've got to. You can't allow this to happen again. But, of course, would that be cruel and heartless? We discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. Jill in St. Francis. Hello, Jill. Hi there. Okay, so what what do you do? Everybody is pretty much moved out of the, the tent city. What if people start moving back into that area or a, a nearby area next March? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. We're doing this because the DNC is coming. Otherwise, I don't think we would really um, be doing this. But I think what we need to do is provide some more help to these folks. Now, we have them who make the choice. I, as a matter of fact, this morning our church is very involved, dropped off some things at a local shelter of boots mm-hmm. and sweatshirts that they made a plea for. Um, but I don't think we allow that to happen. We have removed them, which, you know, that's taking them from their home, basically. But my question to you also is... is Hello? Hello? Oh, Jill... Her cell phone dropped off. I didn't know what her question to me was going to be. <laughs> I, 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 well, here, look, here, here, here's the thing. I, I, I think there, there's no, there's no way we can let this happen again. Now, if Jill's point was going to be, you know, we, we need to do more to try to find alternatives to people living on the sidewalks or living under overpasses. We need to do more to help people, the, the hardcore homeless, who are the folks you know with the mental illness problems, that type of stuff. I, I'm all in favor of that. I, I, I am. At the same time, I don't think it is humane to allow, to allow people to, for example, just set up shop in unsanitary conditions under under freeway overpasses. And I, I think there needs to be a plan moving forward, and it needs to be something that the county executive, whoever that county executive is going to be, and the mayor and the governor, because this particular space is controlled by the Department of Transportation, I, I think they, they need to be on top of this, and they need to be aggressive, and they need to say this. Look, you know, we're, we're gonna, we want to work with people. We want to deal with the issues of homelessness. But here's the bottom line. We're not going to allow this to happen again. And what that means is if 
okay, next April, all of a sudden you see four tents that pop up on in this area or two blocks away or whatever, you have to be aggressive. And whether it's the county sheriff's department or city police or the state patrol or whoever has jurisdiction over this, they've got to go in and they've got to move them. That, that you, you cannot allow this to be established. And, and I would say that whether it's a city park or a county park, you can't allow this to pop up again. It's been taken care of. That That's fine. But it was sort of benign neglect that allowed it to get to this stage. Now, the other issue is, you know, what do you do? How do we help get people, homeless people, off the street? And that's a whole other discussion. And I, I'm willing to take ideas about that. But you can't allow these these public campgrounds to, to pop up again. Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hey, you're Jeff. Hi, Tom. I think uh, put, putting signs up, uh, no uh, camping, no, um, you know, uh, anything of that nature in 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 that area or other areas, or have have them have to have a permit. Well, and of course, you can't get. I mean, thanks for calling. You can't get a permit for you know the, the, these areas. I mean, you, you you can't camp overnight. But yeah, I mean, the, the idea is just like I can't put up a tent and start living in I don't know Brown Deer Park. You know, you're you're not allowed to camp overnight in the parks. You're not allowed to camp. You're not allowed to live under freeway overpasses and if that starts happening, we have to be united as a community that we're going to stop this. We're going to take away the tents. We're going to move people along. And then, you know, plan B is what happens? Where do you move those people? But I will tell you, for a lot of reasons, including the fact that you've got the DNC coming next summer, you can't allow this to happen again. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. What does Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Paris, France have in common? What does it have in common? Well, I, I, I won't make you guess too long. Bottom line is, both the city of Milwaukee... And you could say Milwaukee County and the city of Paris and you could say the entire state of France are financial train wrecks, absolute, complete and total train wrecks. During Eric's newscast, he was telling you about what's been going on in in France and what's happening in France right now is there is a, a major nationwide strike. And it's creating huge problems because 90% of the high-speed trains that they have to get people around, they're not running. Air France has announced it's canceling 30% of its domestic flights. 11 of the 16 lines of the Paris metro are shut down. Many schools throughout the country are closed as teachers are refusing to come to work. These are crippling strikes. Why are people on strike? Well, because France has one of the most generous government pension programs in in the world, and it is bankrupting the company, the country. Let me let me give you an idea. For example, if you're a conductor on the Paris uh, the subway, the metro. All right, here here's the deal: certain workers are allowed to retire as early as the age of fifty-two. And they will receive monthly pensions of approximately $4,000. 
So let, let's break that out. That that's almost fifty thousand dollars a year. I understand that that the Paris doesn't have dollars, but but almost fifty thousand dollars a year, and you can retire at the age of of fifty two. Right. This. This is not an atypical sort of situation. And I mean, I, this is not to, you know, make fun of the workers or to talk about, you know, gee, that this is undeserved or whatever. But the reality of this is the fact that you have large scale numbers of workers who have these deals and these deals have to be paid for. And what happens is you have to have existing workers that are paying taxes to pay for the obligations to other workers who have now retired at the age of 52, for example. So this, what's happening is the, the French president has been trying to rein this in. He wants to reform, and, and he's not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination, but he wants to try to reform the pension system. Right now, they've got 42 different retirement schemes in France alone, and he wants to try to standardize this. He wants to cut back benefits that will be paid out to future employees in an effort to try to instill some fiscal sanity in a system that's going completely and totally broke. And the reaction to this is now you've got all these workers who are just staging nationwide strikes and shutting down the, the country. What what relationship does that have to Milwaukee, Wisconsin? And the answer is Milwaukee is in pretty much the same boat. Now, right now, we're not looking at the massive strikes that are setting things down, but the bottom line is the financial picture in southeastern Wisconsin, in the city of Milwaukee, in Milwaukee County, is B-L-E-A-K. It is bleak. Now, the Milwaukee County problems course go back to 2002 2003 when you first had the, the pension scandal where you had a revision of pension plans for county employees that ended up making some county employees rich beyond the dreams of avarice and the taxpayers are still paying for that almost two decades later that's just the reality of it and you have these pension liabilities that the taxpayers continue to be on the hook for the journal sentinel ha- has a piece today talking about how even though milwaukee the city of milwaukee doesn't have the same pension scandal what's happening is the the pension contributions are beginning to, uh, again, start to cripple the system. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel writes this. Milwaukee officials wrapped up the 2020 budget last week, but they're already using words like crisis and draconian to describe what might be coming next. A huge anticipated jump in the city's annual pension contribution, potentially more than $100 million, might make all this discussion we had this year about cutting 60 police might just, you know, make it essentially just a little bit of noise. In 2023, which is only a couple years from now, the city's actuary estimates that Milwaukee's annual pension contribution could more than double from about 70 million to about 190 million. That's closer to tripling than it is to doubling. The city budget office says, well, well, we think it's going to be about 160 million, up from 70 million. Okay, so the, the bottom line is you have th- these huge payments that are going to have to be made to meet obligations to people who have the, the pensions. All right, what's getting worse 
is, is also, you know, the pension funds are invested. That, that's the idea. And you get a return on the investment. Just like, you know, if you, you have money in the stock market, you probably made money this year. If you haven't made money this year, you haven't been trying very hard. Um, or you should be talking to your financial advisor. But one of the things that they're saying is that, okay, you know, we're, we're starting to become concerned because, um, our, our pension fund, well, we're worried that there's going to be a drop in, in earnings. We're not going to be able to get an 8% return. We're going to have to, maybe we'll get closer to 7% or 6% or whatever. So if we're not earning as much money, that means we got to get money from other places, which means we have to have it from the city. So to that extent, as, as far as dealing with the benefits and the obligations that you have, it, it's a mess. Milwaukee, in some respects, is kind of like, like Paris. So where do you get the dough to do this? Well, one of the things that the mayor is completely and totally hanging his hat on is this idea of a sales tax increase. You know, and we've talked about this before. Milwaukee, the county, would like to have a binding referendum which would give the county the right to raise the county sales tax from 0.5% to 1.5%, right? They estimate that if you did this, what would happen is it would generate about $160 million the first year. And then what they would do is that money, what would happen to the money? Well, they say property tax relief. I wouldn't hold my breath on that. But the county would take some money to use for improvements to things like the domes, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the money would go to the city of Milwaukee, and the city of Milwaukee says that, hey, if we get this, we would use some of this money, again, some of the money, to go help offset our pension obligations. But it's all contingent upon getting the public to vote for this sales tax increase. Now, here's the deal. And we've discussed this before, but in light of these new pension numbers, I think it's a a worthwhile conversation to have. The way it works right now is before Milwaukee County can put this sales tax referendum on the ballot, they want to do it in April. They say there's a financial crisis. They want to do it in April. Before they can do that, the state legislature has to sign off on this, giving them the right to do it. People in the state legislature, the Republicans that control the state legislature, aren't exactly thrilled about doing this. First of all, Republicans will tell you they didn't go to Madison to allow people to raise taxes. That's number one. Number two, they will say that it's not like Milwaukee County or the city of Milwaukee has particularly been, on various occasions, a great steward of taxpayer dollars. So the question becomes, if we think they're just going to pee it away on things like a trolley, why would we allow them to take more money from the taxpayers? All right. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know this is an issue there are some of you disagree with me on. If I still lived in Milwaukee County, which I do not, I don't know how I would vote on a referendum as to whether I want to increase the sales tax or not. And I have a number of the concerns that a number of my friends in the state legislature have, which is, hey, you know, just because we give them this money, what are they going to do with it? What is the purpose? And if you just give politicians an extra bunch of money, 
especially since there are all these crying needs that are out there, how is the money going to get distributed? I have all those concerns. So I don't know if I would vote yes or no if I still lived in Milwaukee County, which I don't. But the underlying basic issue of this is should the residents of Milwaukee County have the right to vote on whether or not they want to see the sales tax raised? Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I understand that people might disagree with me on this without taking a position on how I would vote. Given the way we handle school spending referendums, given the fact that you have a school board in Menominee Falls that refuses to allow the public to vote on a referendum as to whether the school nickname should be changed, and I think they're wrong there, I think it's wrong for the state legislature to not allow the residents of Milwaukee County to vote up or down on whether or not they want to see the sales tax increased. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Chris Abley, Tom Barrett, all these politicians seem to be absolutely, totally convinced that once you put this question on the ballot, residents of Milwaukee County are going to overwhelmingly vote to increase the sales tax. I don't know if they're right on that one. But shouldn't Milwaukee County voters have the right to decide one way or the other? My answer would be yes. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Here's some of the text. No more money from the taxpayers. Why the heck did they waste money on the Mister Rogers neighborhood trolley? Then should have put that money to this to other uses. Okay, look, I I understand, and, and believe me, I'm not the guy that's going to defend some of the bizarre. And I understand and highlight bizarre ways that the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County has spent and mismanaged money over the years, right? I'm not going to defend that at all. I am just saying that given the fact that there is a very, very real financial crisis because of, in many respects, I think some of that financial mismanagement, it doesn't mean there's really no other alternative. So, I mean, I think, look, say, let's have a referendum. Give people the right to vote. Now, of course, when you do that, there's going to be people who are arguing, hey, our officials, you can't trust the common council. You can't trust the mayor. You can't trust the county board. Look what they've done. That's all a reason not to give them more taxpayer dollars via the sales tax increase. You can make that argument. And maybe there's going to be people out there that do make that argument. But I'm just saying it's a matter of of local control. As a matter of local control, I think the voters have the right to decide whether they want to give their elected officials another chance. That that is that is the point. The other reality is that this is always going to be the pie in the sky thing that's out there. It's going to be the mayor and whoever the county executives is. They're they're going to always be saying, "Well, here, here's what we need. We we need that that one percent sales tax increase. We get that sales tax increase, and everything would be fine." And it's the evil Republicans who control the legislature who aren't giving it to them. Again, I'm not clear at all 
that if they put this on the ballot, they'd get what they want. But at the same time, to me, it's a matter of local control. And I want to be consistent with my position on this. I'm the guy who is ripping the Menominee Falls School Board, who is afraid afraid to put a referendum question on the ballot asking the general public whether they want to change the nickname of the team or not because they know that the average the, they know that at least in my opinion probably 75 to 80 percent of the people in Menominee Falls are going to vote against a nickname change that the school superintendent and the head of the school board are committed to well I'm criticizing them for that well how can I turn around and then not say the mayor and the county executive say that they, they want more money they want the sales tax how how can I consistently then say, well, we're, we're not going to let the citizens vote for it? 414-799-1620. Sue in Germantown. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for Sue. taking my call. Sure. Um, I don't know if this can be done, but I think they should absolutely let the Milwaukee uh, citizens vote for yeah. a referendum. Um, the one thing I would do if they're doing that is can they have an addendum to that referendum and say, if you vote yes, do you want money to go to schools, police, trolley, right. and and actually make the government put the money where the the people want the money? Right. Well, well, exactly. Right. And, and I think if you did something like that, it would probably give it more of a chance of passing. You know, if you if you said, okay, look, this is this is going to you know we, we've got pension obligations that are this much. You know, we're going to take X amount of dollars and do this right to make sure that it's not going to get frittered away. I, I think it would make it more likely to pass. But to me, right. I mean, again, if you live in Milwaukee County, I think you should have the right to decide if you want to raise your sales tax by, you know, from 0.05 to 1.5 percent. And and if you say no, you say no, and then the politicians have to go back to the drawing board. And I absolutely believe if they don't put any distinction on where that money's going, it will be voted down, and I hope it is. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, thanks, Nicole. I, I, I agree. And that's one of the things that, you know, the I mean, there, there's all these reports out there that, like, for example, Tom Barrett understands how unpopular the trolley is with the general public. So he's trying to, like, downplay this till after the mayoral elections and after that they, they hopefully get, you know, this referendum that, that's on the ballot. Look, I, I don't know. If you ask me, do I think it's likely that the Republicans are going to give them permission to do this? My, my answer is probably not. I'd like to see him rethink that because, candidly, for the next two years, I don't want to hear the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County plead poverty and continue to blame the Republicans in Madison. I, you know, let them make the case to voters. Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. I totally agree with you. I'm a citizen of Milwaukee, and, 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 and as a citizen, I should have the right to, to, raise, to, to, to raise my taxes or not raise my taxes. Yeah. And, and, and so I shouldn't have people who, who, who don't live in the city, who live you know, outside the state, you know, to basically decide whether, you know, hmm. I, I can do that. And, 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 and so it takes away, my, uh, to me, my democracy. And the fact is, county after county, city after city, raised their taxes around this state for yep. school referendum. Yep. And nobody, nobody said a peep about it in, up in the state. And so, but, but when it comes to Milwaukee deciding, you know, their fate, the fact is, no, we can't do that. They, they, they can make, they can arbitrarily make that decision and not allow us. Okay, let me, Vincent, you, you and I agree on this. Let me ask you this. Let's say they put this on, they put this on the ballot in April. Does it pass? I don't know. know, I'm not a fan of raising my taxes. I guarantee you that. 
Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we at least should have the chance, I, the I agree. opportunity to do so. I don't know if it's going to pass or not. Yeah, thanks. For I, I don't know either. I, I don't know either. The, the mayor, the county executive, all these politicians take it as a given that this will pass overwhelmingly. I'm not sure I agree with that. But the bottom line is I think they should have the right to decide because I, I tell you, city of Milwaukee, Today does have something very much in common with uh, Paris, France, and it's not Bastille Days in July. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There is a movie that is opening up next week, December 13th that I, I guarantee you will have heads in the mainstream media exploding because before there was Donald Trump and fake news, there was Richard Jewell. Now, Gru, this is testing you. You know who Richard Jewell was? That's mm, not ringing a bell. Okay, all right. What what when what year were you born? Uh, eighty nine. You were born in eighty nine. Okay, so I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a break on this because you would have been six or seven years old when when this happened. There is a new movie called Richard Jewell, and it's based on a real person passed away a number of years ago named Richard Jewell, um, who became he got his fifteen minutes of fame in the worst way possible, going from an American hero to a, an object of mockery and being accused of being a suspected terrorist all in the space of just a, a couple days. And and it's an example of a mainstream media out of control and an FBI out of control. Now, h- how does that play out? Richard Jewell, for people who might not be familiar, he was the the security guard He was the security guard who was working in Atlanta at Centennial Olympic Park during the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia. What happened was he discovers a backpack for people who might not remember any of this. He discovers a backpack filled with three pipe bombs on park grounds. I mean, this was the big area where everybody during the 1996 Olympics, Summer Olympics would go and they, they'd congregate. Jewel is the security guard who finds three pipe bombs on the park grounds. He alerts the police. He helps evacuate the area before the pipe bombs explode. So by, by Jewel's actions, he, he saved people from injury and death. So he was originally hailed. The, the media just embraced him. He's a hero. All right, he's a hero. He's a great, great guy. He, he saved people's lives, etc., etc. Richard Jewell was, I, I don't want to say an odd character because that's not fair to him. He was, he was a loner is what he was. He was, I mean, his personal life, he was, I, I think, I don't think he had ever, he had ever been married. He'd, he'd bounced from sort of job to job trying to find his place in the world at the time this happened, he was living at home with his mom, you know, and I think he was in his 30s at the time. It was just, he, he was kind of a, a loner, but there, there's lots of people that are are like that. All right, so what happens is he's originally considered to be, you know, to be to be hailed at, at hailed at the at, as a hero. Well, what happens is um, he ends up 
being investigated as a suspect. And he's investigated as a suspect largely because uh, of the FBI releases this this profile. You know, well, if we had a, a profile on on the bombing, on the bomber, you know, these are the different characteristics that we think somebody, you know, would have done. Uh, a loner, a loser who craves attention might have planted the bomb in order to discover it, et cetera, et cetera. And so... Richard Jewell fits a number of these characteristics. Uh, okay, he kind of fits the profile. What happens is that the FBI, there's the FBI again, leaks this profile and leaks the fact that Jewell is a suspect, not indicted, leaks it to a reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And then what they do is they they run with the story. And they identify him as a subject of this investigation, and it, it, it just it ruins the guy's life because he goes from being a hero to now being the guy that maybe in an effort to you know accomplish and seek publicity, he planted this bomb. And it's all because of an overzealous newspaper, in this case it's the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, an overzealous reporter, and I know the newspaper doesn't like some of this, but you know, the truth absolutely hurts, and some of the movie I'm going to talk about is a little bit fictionalized, but but it's an example of how, again, kind of life-imitating art, about how you, you have the FBI, you have selective leaks, you have a, an innocent person that gets completely Completely and totally tarred, tarred, and his life effectively destroyed. Because everybody, the reason you hear Richard Jewell, at least back in the day, was, oh, this is the guy that's now the suspect who might have planted the bomb. Ultimately, um, they they caught the real bomber. He was a guy named Eric Rudolph, who was a, a terrorist. Um, essentially, he'd been involved, he was subsequently involved in other bombings. Richard Jewell completely exonerated. So all this publicity, all this different stuff, it, it was just, it was an example of an out-of-control news media fueled by uh, an FBI that circumvented and short-circuited rules and really destroyed this guy's life. All right, sound familiar? Well, what's happened is Clint Eastwood, he's made a movie of Richard Jewell's life, and that movie comes out um, on the 13th. It's it's getting really good reviews from some of the critics who've seen it. Um, they they cringe at some of the depictions of the aggressiveness in the newsroom, and I, I think there's some Hollywood theatric the, um, there's some Hollywood theatrics. There's apparently the the FBI agent who leaks this information. His uh, he's played by John Hamm, the guy from Mad Men, and he apparently at least in the movie they suggest that he's having a sexual relationship with the reporter from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I don't think that happened in real life it's kind of a fictionalized version but at the same time there's no question that there were leaks that were made for whatever purposes there and they ended up ruining an innocent guy's life this this is the story of fake news before donald trump came around and started talking about fake news i'm going to be fascinated again to see some of the mainstream reviews because this does demonstrate the dark side of the news media and it demonstrates the dark side of certain aspects of law enforcement where you have investigators or agents who go rogue. Now, again, Richard Jewell, it's a dramatization. Not everything that's going to be depicted in the movie happened like it happened in real life. But it is, I think, fair to say that you had a guy whose life was completely and totally trashed 
by, again, out-of-control news media and an irresponsible law enforcement agent or investigators. I'm going to be really interested to see how much box office this does and what the reviews of it are. I will tell you, I'm going to see this one on opening weekend. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. My producer, Gru, is from the Wausau area. Wausau is making national news for an ordinance that's getting a lot of people's, uh, a lot of people are thinking about it. We were talking about it on our, on our newscasts earlier today. Now, there's lots of silly ordinances that are out there. For example, the village of Whitefish Bay, where I used to live, they have an ordinance on the books that says it is illegal, it's against the ordinance, to operate various types of power equipment, including a snowblower, after certain hours. Now, I mean, think about how stupid that that is. All right, you, you've got to get to work. There's a snowstorm overnight, all right? You've you got to get to work, and the ordinance, I forget if it says you can't you can't blow snow before 6 or 7 in the morning. I forget what it says, but you know, regardless. I mean, if you've got to get out to work early in the morning, you're, you're going to get up and you're going to maybe you're up at two or three in the morning and you're snow blowing your driveway so you can get out of your garage. Right. I mean, what who thinks an ordinance like that would be a good idea? Well, they do in Whitefish Bay. All right. Now, the only good news is it's almost I don't think it's ever enforced. And I can understand why you would have noise ordinances, you know, if, for some things. For example, I mean, if somebody's out there cutting their lawn at five o'clock in the morning, that that's silly. But snow throwers, snow blowers, that's a different sort of thing. Well, speaking of snow, in Wausau, Wisconsin, there is a municipal ordinance. It's tacked in between two laws regarding the use of firearms in the city. So they've got ordinances regarding firearms. That's good. Here's what the ordinance says. No person shall throw or shoot any object, arrow, stone. Okay, now let me stop it right there. I get it. No person shall shoot any object, arrow, or stone. Don't want people throwing rocks. Don't want people firing arrows. Don't want them throwing other types of objects. No person shall throw or shoot any object, arrow, stone, snowball, or other missile or projectile by hand or by any other means at any other person or at in or into any building, street, sidewalk, alley, highway, park, playground, or other public place within the city, the ordinance reads. So in other words, if you and your brother are out in the public park, or actually I think probably even at your front yard, and you decide, hey, we're going to have a snowball fight, and you chuck snowballs at each other, you have violated the city ordinance. Ah, the story I am looking at on WSAW, they went out and they interviewed a fourth grader. Her name is Kayleen Blanchard. They said, what do you think about this ordinance against snowballs? The fourth grader says, well, I think it's a little strange. Hmm. What do we say about out of the mouths of babes? Well, the mayor, his name is Robert Milski, he says, well, well, yeah, um, we were, you know, we were, we were worried about people throwing stuff. It's in the interest of public safety. It's just consideration and common sense. 
You don't throw stuff at people, period. All right. Then he goes on to say, in the best Christmas story, you'll shoot your eye out version. He says, well, you know, sometimes sometimes people can, can get hurt with snowballs. Kids could be throwing snowballs when it's really turned to ice. Stone could be mixed in. Nobody wants that thrown. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Wanted to spend one segment on this, but let us have a discussion. There in Wausau, you and there's a couple other communities around Wisconsin that are like this. You are not allowed to throw snowballs, period. And the mayor is defending this, essentially saying, "Well, you could poke your eye out." Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Is this silly, or is this in the interest of of I don't know public safety? Because I don't know about you, but I can remember snowball fights that I would get into as a kid. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody would get hit in the face with a snowball. And, yeah, you, you'd, you'd get hurt and it would sting. All right. Is this a good way to stop it? And is this what Wausau should be spending its time on? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. My short answer is this is a classic example to me of how there must be no other problems in Wausau if this is what you're going to concentrate on. And for the love of God, can't we let kids just be kids? 414-799-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Just heard that last spot. Downtown Chicago, just great over uh, great over the, the holidays here. All right. So, yes, people were, are sending me texts going that that ordinance you're talking about in Wausau, that that doesn't that doesn't really make it illegal to throw snowballs in your backyard, does it? And the answer is yes. No person shall throw any object, arrow, stone, snowball or other missile or projectile by hand or by any other means at any other person or at or into any building. So, no, in the city of, of Wausau, it is now, if you go into your backyard and you and the neighbor kids decide you're going to have a snowball fight, it is against the ordinance. It's against the ordinance. Now, look, I understand that there might be occasions where, I don't know, you don't want kids standing on overpasses or people on sidewalks throwing ice balls at cars that are passing by. I, I get that, all right? But, of course, you've got all sorts of ordinances and state laws that will prohibit that, starting with disorderly conduct and then moving on, all right? The idea that we need a law and that the law then needs to be defended by the mayor who obviously – obviously has, number one, no sense of humor, and number two, you know, no, no heart at all, this idea that, well, we've got to protect ourselves. We, we, we can't have children going out and enjoying themselves and having snowball fights. I mean, really, I understand there's this temptation that we all have out there to want to, like, bubble wrap people, and I get it. I mean, I understand, you know, you get involved in a snowball fight, and, you know, you, you can get hit in the side of the head, and it can break your glasses, or, yes, I'm sure if you found numbers that there would be a handful of people across the country every year, handful of kids who have to go into the emergency rooms because they got hit with a snowball. But when you compare that to the, the normalcy of growing up by throwing snowballs, you go, my gosh, is this is this just um, is this something that you really need to do around there? And the answer is, 
Come on, give me a, a break here. Um, here's a, a text, Jeff. My question is, what are they going to do when the kids throw snowballs? I mean, you know, you know, what, how, how is that going to happen? Now, they say it's on the books, but at this point in time, they, they can't remember it being enforced, which raises the question then of, of if we all agree that it's silly, if we all agree that it's unenforceable, why, why don't you just remove it from the books instead of trying to defend it? It's also an example, again, of, of, of how, look, in, in the city of Milwaukee, the, the last thing you got to be worried about is kids throwing snowballs at each other. You know, we, we, we can't figure out a way to stop kids from making firearm threats at different schools. We can't figure out a way to stop people from taking guns into various public places and shooting them off. I, I think, you know, in that case, we'd be glad if everybody simply said, okay, if you've got a dispute with somebody else, here's what you're going to do. Take snowballs. Wausau, no snowballs. Seriously. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. couple quick programming notes. Looking forward to seeing many of you this evening at the Italian Community Center. Our show starts at 7 o'clock. It is our annual WTMJ holiday Christmas show designed to in part support and help out Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. Speaking of the Capco Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive, um, it's on it's underway now. I think everybody knows the drill. I believe this is the 14th year that we have done this. What we're asking you to do, if you can find it in the goodness of your heart, is to go out and pick up a new toy, and then you can drop it off to one of our many distribution site, one of our many pickup sites that we have, Area Culver's Restaurants, for example. Also, tomorrow, we are taking the program on the road. My show, as well as Wisconsin's Afternoon News programming, is going to originate from South 84th Street, VMP Manor Park. We're going to be down there from noon until I think I think John McCure is there till 630 tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening. Uh, the folks at VMP Manor Park always do a great job. They set up this winter wonderland, and I know they bring in buses of kids. There's a circular drive. It is very easy, and you can stop by. You can donate the toys. There'll be all sorts of volunteers there to take them. Ultimately, what happens, and we're going to be there tomorrow, a week from today, I believe. I'm on the road out at the uh, Century Store out in Delafield, Albrecht Century, where we've been for number of years as well as the toy drive kind of winds down but we've got another week another 10 days or so left then ultimately it all culminates in a big party at capco in grafton you can go out there you can see all the toys it's always an amazing experience and again this is this is your opportunity to help us help some kids have a happier holiday, a merrier Christmas than they might otherwise have had. So, again, it's the Capco Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. Our next remote broadcast tomorrow, noon until 6.30 at VMP Manor Park. So stop off and say hello. We would love, and I mean that, we would absolutely love to see you. So the Brewers make a trade today. One of the things that we've been wondering over the off season is uh, that they've saved a lot of money, but... Who's going to play these positions? They, they dump Eric Thames. They dump uh, – they, they let Yasmani Grandal, the catcher, go. They end up letting Mike Moustakis go. They were free agents they signed elsewhere. You had all sorts of other position players that they ended up getting rid of. And the question becomes, okay, who's going to catch? Who's going to play first base? Who's going to play third base? Who's going to pitch? They made a trade with uh, Seattle, got a catcher named Armo. 
um, it's Omar Navias, who apparently he's a good hitting, left-handed hitting, good hitting catcher who doesn't play defense very well, but they're going to apparently um, sort of uh, platoon him with uh, Manny Pena would be my guess. That, that's how you look at it, Grill. Yeah, Narvaez will provide the offense, and Pena will provide the defense. Right, I see. And, and this, again, it, it's sort of like I, I just – it took me a year to figure out how to pronounce Yasmani Grandel, and now we have Omar Narvaez that, that's coming in. So I, I, maybe that one won't be quite as hard. But in any event, um, he, he comes in at a much lower salary than Grandel does. My, my guess, my hope is – that David Stearns has some master plan and what he's going to do with the money he saved by not resigning Mike Moustakis. And, and all the baseball people, you read the national stuff, they say that Cincinnati overpaid for him. Um, the Chicago White Sox, I think, overpaid for Yasmani Grandal. And, and look, I, I'm not, I'm not faulting him. I don't, if they can get the money, that, that's, that's great. But that doesn't mean that the Brewers should overpay just for the sake of bringing somebody back. So with all the money they are saving, with all the players they are jettisoning, you, you hope he's got some master plan to bring in a couple you know, big-name players, a couple real studs who are going to be in a position to get the Brewers over the hump. Because right now you have arguably one of the two or three best baseball players, players in baseball today. That's Christian Yelich. And, and you just it would be an absolute sin – to have what happens to Yelich be what happened to Mike Trout in California, where great ball player, but he's just been playing with a, a you know surrounded by bad a bad team and not able to get anywhere. I mean, there, there's a window that the Brewers have right now to really, I think, challenge for the World Series, and I think it's dependent on the general manager going out and spending some of that money that they now have saved and bringing in a couple players that are going to get the Brewers over the hump. All right, yesterday. She just refuses to go away. Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton did an interview on Howard Stern's Internet radio show. He was on Sirius. And the, the reviews, I, I saw, I listened to part of it, and I'm, I'm not a huge Howard Stern fan, although I, I appreciate the guy's longevity. Um, you know how much money Howard Stern makes a year? <laughs> a lot. Would you like to guess? Well, yes, a lot. You know what the estimates are? G- give me a guess, just a wild guess. Well, it's going to be in, uh, I'll say, $12 million. $58 million. $58 million. It's only a bit more. Uh, it's only a bit, but, but yeah, I mean, $58 million. That's what some of the estimates are. And, and, and again, more, more power to him. And I, I, a little bit of Howard Stern goes a long way with me, but I, I, I appreciate the guy's longevity in this industry and his ability to reinvent himself and all. And I think he's a really good interviewer on many different levels, even though a lot of times he's he's not my particular cup of tea. Anyhow, Hillary Clinton goes on the Howard Stern Show. She had never done that before. And I've heard some of the clips. She, by all accounts, did a really, really good job. She kind of, like, humanized herself. She was funny. She was self-deprecating. She opened up about things. She talked about you know, um, the, he asked her stuff like, you know, have have you ever been in therapy? She said, no, no, you know, you know, why do you think you're so stiff in the spotlight? 
Um, you know, does it bother you that you lack the charisma that maybe your husband or Barack Obama had? He asks her all sorts of questions, including some even more personal questions, like with Howard Stern, it, it's all about sexuality. And he asked her apparently, apparently he asked her, you know, have, have you ever had a, 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 have you ever had a sexual relationship with another woman? She said no. But all, all those different things. But apparently she was funny. She was self-deprecating, and you know, she came away with kind of like rave reviews. A lot of people said, hey, we didn't vote. For for her before, but you know, if we had seen this side of Hillary Clinton, you know, maybe we would have rethought it. All right, one of the subtexts, and during this interview, well, it's like the New York Post said, um, she she dropped a couple hints that she was thinking at least about getting into the race for president this year, and and that's consistent with some of the other things that she has said. Clearly, I think she feels a dissatisfaction with some of the candidates that are out there. And and that's a dissatisfaction that you start to see mirrored in some of the polling that, that's out. You you have you have a field of candidates, but let let's break it down. There are you've got Bernie Sanders and you've got Elizabeth Warren who are the, the hard left of, of the party. There's people out there that believe that both of them are just too left wing. A lot of Democrats believe that they're just too far to the left to get elected president, even running against Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump might not necessarily be that popular. America's just not ready for, you know, quasi socialist presidents. Plus, you know, Bernie Sanders, you've got the age issue. He's cranky. Elizabeth Warren has personality quirks as well. Not particularly likable. Could she be, you know, Hillary, you know, not Hillary light, but could she be, you know, another version of of Hillary? Those are concerns. Some people could agree. Some people could disagree. Then there's Joe Biden, a more moderate guy, but a guy that's been around forever. He's 70, what, 77 years old, concerned that maybe he's too old, that he's been around the block too many times, that he's not as sharp as he once was. Then you've got, you know, the, the mayor, you know, Mayor Pete from South Bend, Indiana, charismatic young guy, has appeal. But, you know, he's been the mayor of of mayor of South Bend, Indiana. You know, is that really enough basis to then become the president of the United States? Not to mention the fact that he would be the first openly gay president. Now, some people doesn't matter. Other people, it might be an issue. But you go up and down the candidates and, and there's there's not perfect candidates. There are candidates who are definitely flawed. Doesn't mean that, you know, in a head-to-head comparison with Donald Trump, they, they can't win. But there's a lot of Democrat voters that are starting to say, hey, I, I don't know, maybe we need somebody else. Former mayor of New York, Mike Bloomberg, has jumped into the race. He thinks he can be that someone else. He's spending millions and millions of dollars. You have perhaps seen some of the TV ads that he's running. I don't know that it's necessarily moving the needle. There's a new poll out in California that shows in California it didn't move the needle. But, okay, that's California. So there is a school of thought that says that Hillary Clinton is looking to see if she has an opportunity to get in because she's always wanted to be the president of the United States. Dick Morris, who's a former advisor to the Clintons, he's out saying Hillary wants to run. And the only thing keeping her out of the race right now is is Joe Biden. 
He's the only thing standing in the race. Morris, uh, Morris says, my feeling is that Hillary wants to, but she's hesitant because she realizes the timing is bad. She's got to wait until Biden drops out because he's obviously next in line for it. If he goes away, there's an opening for her. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Would Hillary Clinton be the best chance Democrats have of defeating Donald Trump? A rematch of 2016, would it turn out differently? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. What do you think? I'll tell you where I come down on just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. No, I have not been drinking. No, I have not lost my mind. But I have to tell you, I think if Hillary Clinton got in the race again, she would be a formidable contender. Now, now, hear me out on this. And I don't don't know that she could get the Democratic nomination. I, I think that there's, just like in the Republican Party in 2016, there was kind of Bush fatigue. Jeb Bush outstanding candidate would have made an absolutely outstanding president but i think people were okay this is you know we're we're done with the legacies and i think that there is this thing that's out there saying okay people are done with the clintons at the same time at the same time what happened in 2016 was the fact that this was in many respects i think less than Less than a referendum on Donald Trump. It was a referendum on Hillary Clinton. That is to say that there were a lot of people who just weren't that excited about Hillary Clinton, who kind of came to the conclusion that, well, you know, first of all, she's been around forever. A lot of people, including a lot of Democrats, didn't like her particularly well from all the years. And so they ended up staying home. So they either stayed home or, or they didn't support her. And, and President Trump was able to win the states that he needed to win and carve out the Electoral College victory. 2020, it, it's not an unknown commodity running against a known commodity. In 2020, you know, people know and have opinions of President Trump. And I don't know that he's necessarily done too much over the last three plus years to expand his base of support. His supporters are still his supporters. And my guess is that almost all the people who voted for him in 2016 are going to vote for him again in 2018. And maybe he'll be able to bring some more people into the fold. But but people now have a very strong opinion of Donald Trump one way or the other. Well, for Hillary Clinton, Now, it's not so much a referendum on do people like her or not. It would be a referendum on, all right, who is the superior candidate now? You've seen what President Trump has been like for four years. Now you have the option to bring me in. All right, so that's... That's, I think, what makes her a compelling sort of candidate. She came close to winning last time, and now it's a different dynamic and it's a different election. The problem with her getting into the race is that Again, and this is one of the things that I've been complaining about for a while. You know, we've got another 70-plus-year-old candidate, you know, wanting to to wade in. That's one of the appeals, I think, that some of the younger candidates have, that it's kind of like the next generation. At some point in time, do you – 
do you say it, it's time to move on to the next generation? Do we want to have this kind of generational change, or do we still want to have people whose worldviews were shaped by you know events that happened a long time ago? Do we want them to be the ones that are making decisions for 2020 and beyond? Let's talk to Bob in Bayview. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Oh, yes, I believe that... Uh... Hillary doesn't stand a chance against Mr. Trump uh, in the next election if she should be the one uh, chosen by the Democrats. Uh, most of the Democrats, like myself, um, are not going to vote for Hillary. For one thing, uh, Hillary does not have the backing of the Bible Belt, uh, which elected Mr. Trump the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, as uh, we were a big part of uh, in uh, Milwaukee in the Wisconsin area on ending slavery, uh, we also will. Well, Bob, let me ask you this: Who who do you think who who would you like to see emerge from of all the Democrats that are out there? You said you're a Democrat. Who would you like to see emerge? I haven't seen anyone yet. Okay. Well, t- time's a ticking. You know. <laughs> I mean, I, well, yeah. I, I don't see anyone come forward. It's going to be have to be somebody uh, who can deal uh, a good hand with the Bible Belt. If they have that, I think a lot of your Silent Christians, okay. silent Christians who don't speak up, are just going to vote for Mr. Trump. Okay. Well, thanks. For, I mean, I guess you, you have you have to see what I've said all along is that that you you can't beat you know somebody with nobody. And I understand that Donald Trump is polarizing. I I get that. I I understand it fully. But at the same time, there there has to be somebody that's going to emerge. I think if and I, I look, I have no idea whether she's going to run or not. I mean, she's 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 yesterday's news in many respects, and and I I would hope I would hope she doesn't run just because I I think it's time we need to move on. I, I just think as a country we end up needing to move on. There, there's just no question about that. But if she were to run, yeah, do do I think she would be a formidable candidate? Yeah, I do, and I think the dynamics would be much much different than last time. I think she'd certainly learn from her mistakes. I think you'd you know have her campaigning in Wisconsin. I think you'd have her not taking things for granted. I think you know you you learn a lot from losing. Arguably, you learn more from losing than you do from winning. So it's possible. I, I know there's all this chatter that's out there. I know there are a lot of Democrats. Democrats who aren't satisfied with the choices they have. But my point to Democrats like like Bob is, hey, the, the clock is running. And at some point in time, you know, they're going to have to unite behind a particular candidate. Who that candidate is, I think, is going to be what what really decides whether or not Donald Trump gets reelected again. If it's a more moderate candidate like a Biden, the election becomes about Trump. If it's a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, the campaign and the election becomes about them. And I, I think Trump has a better chance of winning. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I think you need to figure out ways to get more qualified Wisconsin residents enrolled at UW-Madison, not fewer. Now, here's here's the deal, and I, it's easy to get lost in these numbers, but kind of follow me with this. All right, right now, the Board of Regents has a policy that 3,600 students, freshman students enrolled at UW-Madison have to be from the state, state of Wisconsin. All right, that, that's the deal. And 
in this current year's class, what they said is that, um, hey, okay, 37, almost 3,800 kids from Wisconsin were enrolled as, as undergraduates. So the goal was 36. We got 3,800. Let's pat ourselves on the back. That That's great. Okay? Well, it, it all depends on how you look at it. Yes, it's true that they beat that 3,600 number by about 200. However, however, what happened at the same time is UW decided to enroll more kids than ever. They enrolled 7,550 kids. Of those 7,550, 50.3% from Wisconsin were from Wisconsin. So it's about 50% from Wisconsin, 50% from elsewhere. That percentage, if you look at it not with the raw number, but if you look at it with the percentage, that percentage is about a 3.1% drop from two years ago. So percentage-wise, it's down, and it's down drastically from... I don't know, about 15 years ago when about two out of every three freshmen were Wisconsin residents. So, yes, the raw number of Wisconsin residents getting admitted to Madison has gone up, raw number. Percentage-wise, though, it's dropped, and it's arguably dropped dramatically. The only reason the raw number has gone up is because they've decided to admit more kids to UW. Now, against this backdrop... The chancellor, Rebecca Blank at at UW, she says, I want to drop this 3,600 student requirement. I don't think that should be the number because, you know, it might make us take kids to get to that 3,600 number. It it might, maybe there's not 3,600 qualified Wisconsin residents to go to Madison. So what she wants to do is she wants to change the rules. She wants to say, I think instead the number should be 5,200. 5,200 new undergraduates each year. But she says, what I want that to do is I want it to include new students, freshmen coming in, I wanted to include transfer students from other Wisconsin universities or from out of state who now are, are, are state residents. So in other words, you, um, I don't know, you, you graduate from a Wisconsin high school, you go away to out of, out state to college for a year, and you come back and you transfer to Madison. You would be counted in this. Or you can't get into Madison as a freshman, so you go to UW Lacrosse or Eau Claire or Oshkosh or wherever, and you transfer in, you know, your sophomore year or your junior year. You would count in this number. So that, that's kind of her idea. And people from Minnesota would count in this as well. I think the effect of this, if you really work it out, and you, you got to look at it, because like I say, she's going to say, well, 5,200 new Wisconsin students and Minnesota kids, because it's reciprocity, every year, that's bigger than 36. That's a good deal. Well, not necessarily, because you're, again, including all these transfer students and things like that. My sense is, if you do something like this, it will result in more out-of-state students being admitted at least as freshmen. And then um, you, know, you make up that number down the road where you inevitably have kids that end up dropping out, for example, or whatever, and then you have people who couldn't get into Madison their first year, then they transfer over. 
Our number is 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The reason they do this at Madison, end of the day, bottom line, is that out-of-state students pay a lot more in tuition than in-state students do. So institutionally, Madison has an incentive to take as many out-of-state students as they possibly can because it's going to generate more revenue. You take the kid from Oshkosh or you take the kid from Baltimore, Maryland, the kid from Baltimore, Maryland is going to be paying more in tuition so the university gets more money even though they are equally well qualified. The university will always say, well, plus... You know, we, we don't want to take too many Wisconsin kids because there is an interest in, in diversity. And by diversity, in this case, I mean geographic diversity. You know, we, we don't want it to be everybody that you went to high school with or everybody that was in the same uh, you know, conference that, that you were in. There is a value to diversity. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the goal... And I'm not against a geographically diverse group of people. But at the same time, I think there needs to be a priority that is given to in-state students. And if you're getting close to about 50-50, 50% of the new freshmen being, again, Wisconsinites, 50% being kids that have come from elsewhere, I think that's too low. And again, I'm not saying that you should turn down qualified out-of-state students. But all things being equal, I think Wisconsin students, because they live in Wisconsin, because their parents have, in many cases, presumably been paying taxes and supporting the Wisconsin University system and UW-Madison, either directly or indirectly, for a good portion of their lives, I I think that the priority should go to in-state students. And I hear story after story after story about qualified kids from Wisconsin high schools who find themselves being turned down for admission to UW-Madison and being told, well, you can't get in, there's no room for you, go to Oshkosh, go to Eau Claire, go somewhere else, and maybe a year or two down the line there'll be a spot that opens up. I have an issue with that, and I have trouble telling if I had a child who had their heart set on going to UW-Madison and, objectively speaking, could get in, but wasn't getting in because they were from Milwaukee or they were from Waukesha, as opposed to, I, I don't know, Missouri, I'd be bothered. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Before we go to the calls, here's a text. Jeff, um, I agree 100%. Um, we support UW-Madison and the state, and we want our kids to go there. Um, oftentimes, it's a first choice, but we're stuck with this artificial quota, and I just think it's completely unfair. My daughter is going to be looking to go to graduate school to be a veterinarian and would prefer Madison, but chances are she might not make it, partly because of this quota system, and she really wants to go. We attend Badger games every year. She loves the idea of attending Madison. Let's talk to Mary in Oconomowoc. Hi, Mary. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. The one thing that I've noticed through the years is that many times students who are not accepted in Madison end up going, good students end up going to the University of Minnesota. So we've already spent 13 years of educating these young people. We 
let them go to Minnesota where they receive their degrees and then they stay there. Mm -hmm. They probably never come back to Wisconsin. So in a way, we've lost money already. Well, right. And and in many cases, the kids that end up in Minnesota, Madison would be their first choice. They, they want to go there, but they, they can't get in. So they say, okay, well, Minnesota is an, an alternative to going to one of the other state school so you know we're going to go to minnesota instead of going to lacrosse and then you end up staying in minnesota to your point right and also i do think many students who go to the other state universities whether lacrosse whitewater whatever if they have good grades and they want to continue in madison i think that option should be there and right. shouldn't be counted well, <laughs> the way well, it will be. Well, right. No, thanks. For, see, and that, see, and that's exactly what's it. Because, I, I mean, when I first saw this story, it, I was thinking, okay, well, I mean, Rebecca Blank wants to in, increase the increase the number of, of state students that are coming in. And, and, no, that's not what she wants to do. She wants to rejigger the formula. And my guess is this rejiggering the formula would allow them to take even more out-of-state students in, you know, as as they at least apply for freshmen. Because, like you were saying, Mary, my guess is that there's a lot of kids, and I mean, I just know it anecdotally, who can't get into Madison, who end up going to the other state schools and then transfer in. Well, if you count all those that are that are coming in, I, I think what happens is. The effect is going to be you're going to open it up for even more of the freshman class to be from out of the state of Wisconsin. And is that really a, a good thing? Let's talk to Gordy and Brilliant. Gordy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good morning. Hi. Um, okay, there's there's a couple things. The, the blame for this whole situation belongs with the state legislature for freezing the tuition. Um, the University of Wisconsin still has the, in, in Madison campus, still has the same bills to pay. Matter of fact, you and I both know the costs go up. Fuel goes up, salaries go up. And so the only way they can make ends meet is to um, charge more money per student. The well, that's not necessarily true. Well, wait, wait that, that's not necessarily true. There, there's all sorts of ways you could well, do it. You, it could, yeah. you could cut expenses. You could but, cut costs. Uh, well, only to a point. And, and, and we've already seen in Wisconsin where they cut salaries to professors and professors move off to different campuses um and so so what happens is the state uh, or the university allows more out-of-state students come in because one out-of-state student pays more yeah. than like like three times like three times as much no right there, there's okay, no question it's it, it's uh there's no question it's it's about the it's about the money right out-of-state it, students yep. pay for two or three times as much yeah and there, there's another problem that you're not recognizing is the university accepts students starting at high ACT scores and goes down the line until they're full. And so the end result is not only do less Wisconsin kids get in, you have to have higher test scores in order to get in. Um, I have nieces and nephews that live in Michigan, and if you don't have a 34 ACT, you don't get into the University of Michigan if you live in Michigan. If you come from a different state, then you can get in with lower test scores than you can from the ones in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple years ago, we run a little store, and a couple years ago, one of the Tax Alliance guys came in and bragging about how they froze tuition, and I told him then, in the short run, that sounds good. In the long run, it's terrible. At the same time, though, Gordy, you're you're always going to... The in-states, there's always going to be a huge disparity between what in-state students pay and what out-of-state students pay. Oh, right, yes. So I I guess the, the question is... There's always going to be that financial incentive 
to, to take more out-of-state students. Should we be doing that? But, but, but the other problem is the tuition has been froze. Yeah, no. I, so if, if the tuition could go up 3 or 4 or 5% a year, then, then you could allow more Wisconsin students in. But, that, but the legislature chose that path, and this is one of the results. Well, I mean, right. I get, I see. I I understand it's about the the money, and I guess I'm I'm not I'm not willing to say that I agree with you that 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 it, it's either or that that there's there's no other way by freezing in state tuition that forces you to exclude more Wisconsin kids. I I don't buy that because Wisconsin. I mean, keep in mind the, the revenues they're getting isn't just from isn't isn't just from the tuition that kids pay. It's from the taxes that you and I and all other Wisconsin residents pay to support the university system. So, I mean, so for my tax dollars that are going in there and whatever that portion is that might find its way to the UW system, I would prefer to have that money spent on at least all things being equal. Let, let's, let's keep that, let's keep that in state and let's give the advantage to the Wisconsin resident, to the kid. That, that's my point. So I guess I, I don't accept the notion that, well, this is the only thing that you can do. You have to. It's an easy way to get it. But what you're doing is you're screwing over the kids from Wisconsin. And that's where I have an issue. This new proposal that the chancellor's come out with, I think is just a glorified plan to screw over the kids, the in-state kids, even more. Because I think, you if you implement this, don't be surprised if two or three years from now, what happens is the majority of the kids that are enrolling as freshmen at UW turn out to be kids from out of state, which then makes me wonder, okay, why are we – and why, why do we have a flagship university? I mean, why are my tax dollars – going to a, a, to a public institution, why are they going to, you know, underwrite the education of kids from out of state? And nothing against people from Iowa and from Michigan and from Minnesota and any of that, but, you know, that's why should we in Wisconsin be paying for that? Now, again, I understand that a lot of kids that can't get in the first year can get in later on, but still, tell that to the kid who, you know, grew up, mom and dad went to Wisconsin, all right, you grew up as a Badger fan. You worked hard in high school. You know, you've you've got good grades. You've got competitive, you know, test scores. You've always wanted to go to UW-Madison. A lot of your friends who worked hard in high school are going to UW-Madison. That's been your goal. Explain to the kid who's now being told, sorry, we don't have any room for you because we can get more money from the kid from Maryland. Explain explain how that's fair to the kid in Wisconsin who's done everything right, and explain how that's fair to the taxpayers of the state of Wisconsin. All right, when we come back, John McCure and Melissa and Greg, they are on the road. But this is a special location. They are down at the Italian Community Center where we're all going to be in a few hours for our holiday radio show 2019. When we come back, we're going to find out what the gang on Wisconsin's Afternoon News has on their collective mind. Please stick around.